Online, welcome to Catholic View. I'm Sheila Pierce. Thank you so much for joining me this Thursday evening. Well, coming up in today's Woman Feature, we'll be focusing on human trafficking. But first, as usual, we begin with some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa. So do stay tuned. This is Archbishop Buti Tlachale of the Catholic Diocese of Johannesburg. We are listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. In your headlines this Thursday evening, sinners can become saints, but the corrupt cannot, says Pope Francis. Congolese community gets ready for anti-Kabila march in South Africa and migrants at risk of human trafficking. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Pirish. Be watchful every day so that you don't end up far from the Lord. That was the invitation of Pope Francis during his homily at today's morning mass at Casa Santa Marta. The Pope spoke of the risk to which we are all exposed, of weakness of the heart. Referring to the apparent paradox of the day's first reading, taken from the first book of Kings, which speaks about Solomon and his disobedience, Pope Francis emphasized the importance of asking for forgiveness. He noted that David, who was a sinner, is a saint because he always asks for forgiveness. While Solomon, on the other hand, who was praised throughout the world, distanced himself from the Lord to follow other gods and never recognize his fault. Pope Francis concluded by reminding us to be watchful and to guard the heart. Catholic and Christian communities of the Democratic Republic of Congo, DRC, residing in South Africa, will once again take to the streets of Johannesburg and Pretoria on February 15th to demonstrate solidarity with the Catholic Church in calling for true democracy to prevail and the removal of incumbent President Joseph Kabila, whose presidential terms ended in 2016. Chancellor of the Johannesburg Archdiocese, Father Jean-Marie Dido, has more details. The location first of the march will be uh, Yeovil. We will gather at Yeovil Recreation Center, marching, and then we will end at uh, Yeovil Community School, where we have hired that uh, ground of uh, the school to end our march there with an ecumenical worship or an ecumenical service, because we will be not only as Catholics, but all Congolese of uh, different uh, denominations and pastors who, uh, the Francophone pastors of the Protestant churches and uh, the Evangelical churches. So we will end there at uh, Yeovil Community School with an ecumenical service of prayer for the people of Congo. The march will start at uh, 10 o'clock in the morning and uh, it will end at 2 uh, o'clock in the afternoon. The Catholic Church, together with other Christian minorities, have held various various protests in the DRC and in other countries. Some protests which were held in the DRC have turned violent and others deadly. On the 18th of February, there is a mass now that will be also uh, uh, said in memory of all those who have died uh, for the cause of Congo. I mean... Uh, 
you will recall on the 16th of February 1992, Christian uh, uh, Catholics who marched, who wanted uh, the dictator Mobutu to leave uh, uh, the country or the power, killed so many who marched on that day. And then uh, again, on the 31st of December 2017, many died. Always people who marched, who wanted democracy to, 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 to prevail in the country. On the 20th of December, again, 2016, we had, again, people who died. And if we go down again on the 18th, 19th, and the 20th of January 2015, many people died again in Congo because they are protesting against this very same regime. And recently, on the 21st of January 2018, again, many people died because of the, 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 the cause of uh, democracy in the country. And uh, for their memories and for their souls to rest in peace, we are organizing a mass on the 18th of February, that's Sunday the 18th, at 2 p.m. at the parish of St. Francis in Yeovil. On to other African news, Angola and Cape Verde are discussing ways to strengthen and diversify bilateral relations in different areas. Angolan Foreign Minister Manuel Agustu has announced the move in his capital, Luanda, during talks between delegations of the two Portuguese-speaking nations. He says the visit by the Cape Verdean officials reflects the common will to increase existing relations. Meanwhile, Cape Verde Minister of Foreign Affairs, Communities and Defense, Luis Philippe Tavarch says his country wants to strengthen existing bilateral ties with Angola with emphasis on the economic and business sectors, mainly in fisheries, tourism, maritime and air transport. A number of artists in Malawi are working with the Association of Persons with Albinism on an ambitious movie project to promote public awareness on the plight of affected people. The Niasa Times says the film titled Heartless People features prominent as well as award-winning actress Flora Suya. It quotes movie writer and director Gibson Beza as saying, while the issue of the plight of people with albinism is seemingly going down, the the issue is still evident in the country. Mr. Beza says the movie campaigning for the rights of albinos has a rich story, sophisticated production and a global audience. More than 300 child soldiers were released by armed groups in South Sudan yesterday, including 85 girls. Matt Wells has more. According to the UN mission in the country, UNMISS, it's the beginning of a process that's expected to see at least 700 children freed in the coming weeks who've already been screened and registered by the UN for phased release. Mahembo Mdo, UN Children's Fund or UNICEF representative in the world's youngest country, said it was a crucial step in reuniting thousands of children with their parents who've been forced to serve in armed groups. It's the largest release in nearly three years, he added, and it's vital that negotiations continue so there are many more days like this. More details from UN Deputy Spokesperson Farhan Haq. The UN mission has been leading the project to release the children for more than six months, including providing peacekeeping troops to escort religious leaders into remote areas to make contact and negotiate with the armed groups. It has also worked closely with key partners such as UNICEF, state and local authorities, as well as community groups. The special representative of the Secretary General in South Sudan, David Shearer, said the challenge ahead is to ensure that young people have the financial, practical and emotional support they need to undertake training, find jobs and access opportunities to reach their full potential. 
Moving on to other news, the 9th World Urban Forum has gotten underway in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, with a call from the new chief of UN Habitat to ensure women have an equal voice in the world's cities. Matt Wells reports. The UN agency's new executive director, Maimuna Maud Sharif, was the keynote speaker on the first day of the forum where policymakers, NGOs, experts and politicians will discuss sustainable urban development. One priority will be advancing the new urban agenda agreed in 2016, setting out a common vision for developing cities and towns in the coming decades. Speaking to the Women's Assembly, Ms Sharif said gender equality would be central to her leadership of the agency. We want to continue to work with partners, with all of you in this hall, to ensure that women have an equal voice in cities, and cities are providing women with equal opportunities. Gender mainstreaming is very close to my heart, and I will continue this principle, this concept, in leading the UN Habitat. Although migrant apprehensions at the U.S.-Mexican border decreased in 2017, the number of people who died while making the crossing remained high, said the U.N. Migration Agency, IOM. Data published this week by its Missing Migrants Project puts the death toll at 412 last year, compared to 398 in 2016. Joel Millman is the Geneva-based IOM spokesperson. He explains how changes in smuggling routes and in weather conditions have contributed to these tragedies. I mean, we think that uh, more than anything, it's probably lack of demand for this labor in, in uh, construction. That's been driving the uh, flows of migration pretty much for the last 20 years. That's a big part of it. Another is the shifting of strategy by many migrants, including the people that that make a living transporting them, the smugglers or the coyotes or whatever they're known as, which is to shift from inland, avoiding border patrol, uh, avoiding points of entry, and uh, taking their chances moving across uh, open land in favor of much more aggressive reporting at the ports of entry and asking for asylum, which usually involves being willing to be in detention sometimes for months, but often they're released on their own reconnaissance. And, you know, it's so much harder to cross the border than it used to be. Two things happen. One is that migrants who don't want to do the asylum strategy uh, will go inland and take their chances under harsh conditions. And, of course, that contributes to a lot of deaths. But it also means that the actual numbers of those apprehended drops because a port of entry entry is not considered an apprehension. When the temperatures start rising in April and May, that's when you see the most danger crossing places like the Toto Autumn Indian Reservation on the Arizona-Sonora border. That's an area that's enormous. It's very hard to patrol. There's not much of a federal presence. And, of course, the tribal government has even less law enforcement capacity. So that's attracted a lot of migrants over the years. But uh, we're talking about an area that's desert that can be literally a two-week walk uh, to uh, Tucson, Arizona. If you can't find water, you don't carry enough with you. You may be hard-pressed to find it. And that's one of the, the big killers of migrants is just trying to cross that stretch. This past year, we found that another contributing factor, which is rather unexpected, was heavy rains at this time of year into the spring brought uh, river levels higher on the Rio Bravo or the Rio Grande, as it's known in the United States, uh, than, than were normal. And so a lot of passages, a lot of paths, a lot of routes that that coyotes considered safe in the past weren't safe last year. The water was rushing much deeper and much faster, and I think there were as many as 50 more 
drownings on that stretch of the river than we'd seen the previous year. So that contributed a lot to the statistics. And finally, February 8th marks the World Day of Prayer and Awareness Against Human Trafficking. And on the forefront of awareness and action against human trafficking is Sister Gabriela Botani, coordinator of Talita Kum and head of the committee organizing the World Day of Prayer and Awareness Against Human Trafficking. In many parishes, in many reality, people started to celebrate uh, February the 8th because of the feast of Santa Baquita, slaves that uh, after she got uh, free, uh, she converted and uh, became uh, a Canossian sister. And now she is a saint and uh, a patron for all people that lived in uh, slavery and victims of trafficking. And from that experience, some religious women, Italian religious women, asked Pope Francis to have this International Day of Prayer, to establish a day of prayer for the whole church. And Francis uh, sent a letter to the International Union of Superior Generals and the Union of General Superiors, so the female and male organization for religious people, asking to promote this day. So it happens in 2014. So when I arrived, 2015, one of the first jobs it was to organize the first uh, International Day of Prayer and Awareness against trafficking. Migrants and people uh, coming without legal pathway uh, to Europe or to the United States, they are at risk uh, of trafficking, either during the travel, but also when they reach the country of destination. And that was a look at some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. Thank you for joining me once again. I'm Sheila Pirsch and you are listening to Catholic View. Coming up next is our woman feature. Women on the African continent are generally treated as second-class citizens. They do not enjoy the same positions as men. We say to girls, you can have ambition, but not too much. You should aim to be successful, but not too successful. Otherwise, you will threaten the man. Some men refuse to invest in the education of their daughters because they say they will soon get married. Because I am female, I'm expected to aspire to marriage. I'm expected to make my life choices, always keeping in mind that marriage is the most important. But why do we teach girls to aspire to marriage and we don't teach boys the same? We raise girls to see each other as competitors, not for jobs or for accomplishments, which I think can be a good thing, but for the attention of men. Feminist, a person who believes in the social, political and economic equality of the sexes. Women on the Forefront, a program dedicated to women who are making a difference. Welcome back to our Women Feature. Today we focus on human trafficking. In 
remarks made following his February 7th general audience, Pope Francis recalled that today, February 8th, the memorial of St. Josephine Bakita was a day of prayer against human trafficking. Pope Francis appealed for concerted action against human trafficking. Meanwhile, a local woman who is in the forefront of awareness and action against human trafficking, Marianne Alu, took active interest in the dilemma of human trafficking in SA back in 2004. And in October 2005, she launched the Human Trafficking Advocacy Initiative of Southern Africa. She is the national coordinator and runs the Johannesburg and Pretoria Focus Group. She spoke to me about human trafficking in SA. Well, first and foremost, um, I started in 2004 when it was fairly unknown in South Africa. And South Africa at that stage was a place of transit. In other words, there wasn't the end demand. But subsequently, soon after about 2006, South Africa became a place of destination. So in other words, traffickers were trafficking people to the hinterland. In other words, there was a demand in South Africa. So that was one of the big changes, that we are now a country of destination. Then legislation came in two years ago. It was very exciting because there was a white paper drawn up around about 2010, just in time for the World Cup. And we went on major alert to alert particularly orphanages and places like that about the World Cup and the visitors who come to the World Cup. And, of course, one of the um, side shows or entertainment um, aspects would be, uh, you know, uh, brothels and the, the abuse of uh, women and children in the, sexual, in the sex industry. So legislation came and was promulgated and then passed. And so what has happened with that legislation is that perpetrators are no longer just given a fine, they are incarcerated. So from that aspect, there has been a move towards um, punishing perpetrators. So that's the good part of what governments have done. The extent to which they enforce the legislation, of course, begs to desire. In other words, it's not being done at the rate that it should be. Human trafficking is modern slavery. The former slavery was chattel slavery. That's when you were a possession and you were sold as a slave, not necessarily for sexual purposes. But modern slavery is a lot more inconspicuous. It's below the radar. And it involves work gangs, it involves um, pornography, it involves um, sexual industry. It, it has a very broad spectrum now, and it's far more insidious. In other words, we don't see it. You know, before slaves were sold on a market, you could see. But now that is not the case. And what's behind it is syndicates. And these syndicates are huge, and they are global, as you said. And remember, it's very lucrative. It is more lucrative than selling arms in a country because you can resell and resell the human being, whereas with arms, it's a cash of arms, and once it's depleted, it needs to be resupplied. Um, to answer your question, how do you combat human trafficking is such a complicated answer. There are many ways in which you can staunch 
the flow of human trafficking, and one of them would be legislation. I don't want to sound negative, but to stop human trafficking is foreign to human nature. While there is a demand, there will be a supply. A country like Finland two years ago has in fact increased the punitive measures against those, not the perpetrators, but the end users of trafficked people. And so these people are hounded and incarcerated. And that has brought down the lucrativity and the, and the sheer volume of trafficking in Finland. So that would be one of the ways that we could staunch the flow of this scourge, would be to, in fact, incarcerate and fine the end user. And I guess uh, the huge flow of immigrants uh, moving from one country to the other doesn't really help in combating uh, human trafficking as well. Migration is one of the... because they make people vulnerable. Migration has added in leaps and bounds towards trafficking of people because those people are vulnerable. First of all, they're generally economically deprived. So from that point of view, they are vulnerable then they're usually people without any kind of home and unwanted. So that makes them, you know, vulnerable. So from a social, political, and economic point of view, uh, migration has definitely added to the scourge of trafficking of, of people. And definitely your, your teenage girls up until the age of about 13 are the most vulnerable, simply because they have multi-purposes. They can be victims of domestic servitude. They can be victims of sweatshops, which is the work gangs. And, of course, they're victims of the sex industry. Now, Marianne, who are you working with? Because I know the Catholic Church has had numerous events uh, uh, trying to tackle the scourge of human trafficking. As for you, who are you working with and what are you aiming at presently? I have what I call anti-human trafficking advocacy initiative. So my initiative is purely advocacy. You can imagine I can't take my you know, time off and go and do major, you know, um, work on the field like I used to. I work strongly with the Salvation Army and the, um, the IOM, you know, the, the um, International Organization of Migration. But I do primarily on an advocacy basis. So my, my thrust is purely awareness. I cannot involve myself in on the field. I have done some on the field work where you actually pursue the trafficking um, pathways or passages in the various countries and you try and elicit where the vulnerable areas are. But I no longer do that, Sheila. I purely work on um, advocacy, which is to mobilize the awareness of everyday people to things like trucking, you know, in the Beaufort West Peru area, there are trafficking of people on that area because the truck drivers um, are means of which they can transport the human cargo. So um, that's what I do. I will highlight areas of um, vulnerability and, yeah, 
And I work primarily with the Salvation Army and the IOM. What do you think government and the local church can do to improve? Well, again, you know, if we can enforce legislation, and the Human Rights Watch has definitely targeted South Africa as a country that was very low on the Human Rights Watch. And then slowly with the promulgation of legislation and then legislation, we climbed higher up the Human Rights Watch um, a spectrum, but we have fallen down again because you know you can see that South Africa's laws are not enforced. We also don't have trained people in the law enforcement fraternity who really know what to do in order to a um, secure vulnerable people, b how to break the chain of the perpetrators. You know, we just don't have that enforcement. We don't have that training. Well, Marianne, thank you so much for your time. Any last words before I let you go? You know, all it takes for uh, human trafficking to flourish is for the good man to do nothing. So if you see something that looks suspect to you, for goodness sake, report it. Report it to an organization like the Salvation Army or the Catholic Church or the IOM. Don't let it pass you by. Be vigilant, be caring, uh, be compassionate, and put it out there in the public domain. And of course, also protect your own. Oh, absolutely. Keep your children close, very close. Ma Gloria Lebona is a sacristan and is very involved in different church works at Our Lady of Fatima Parish in Dube, Soweto. Today she shares her story with us. It's the background of the family. It's a long time ago when we were small as children. Don't forget this very church, Our Lady of Fatima. We've got Bishop Mvenze. He's from this church, and his parents were very active in the church. And my mother, my family also, were very active. From childhood, we were taught that we should help the church with whatever means. So Bishop Mbenze is the product of Our Lady of Fatima and the late Father Enoch Schumann. Mm-hmm. May his soul rest in peace. He's from this very church. And my sister, Sister Bernard Nube, who died, may her soul also rest in peace. They are from this church. And ever since our parents, they taught us that whatever we do, we do it for the love of God. We should help in the church. Anything that you do for the church, it's good for the church. Anything that is good that we are doing for church, it's okay. So that's where we learned that we should always help the church. And then after the very bishop, the Archbishop of Johannesburg, uh, a bishop, Archbishop Kutikahale, he was in our parish 
it was his first mission. He also played a very important role in our lives. He taught us to do the right things for the church. And ever since then, we had to help until now. And then, other priests, I won't mention all their names because it's just a very long list of them. Then, Father Macheta. He's now in Deben. I started working with him here in our parish. I think that was around uh, 2008 or so, yeah, somewhere there. Mm-hmm. So, until now. Okay, so you've been doing this job for many years, and like you said, it's part of the family. During our olden days, our parents, for instance, when I got married, it was in 1973, the people who motivated me, who, 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 who were leading me, are the older woman, Mrs. Nzembe, the late Mrs. Nzembe, the mother of Bishop Nzembe, was the one, she was the one who was telling us about marriage. How do you live in your marriage? And thanks to all those old women, I cannot mention all their names, but she was one of them. Yes, I am proud to say today, in September, I'll be turning uh, 45 years married because of the upbringing. It is very important, sister. Very important. Now, you see with us today, our children, when you tell them about God, all this, things will tell you that, no, you are just boring us. You see? They don't have the understanding. They need good women, old women, who can sit and talk, even you nuns. Sometimes you should visit these parishes, talk to the, especially the ladies, the girls, talk to them them about the Virgin Mary, teach them about the, 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 the principles of the church, you see? And then lastly, Mom Gloria, what is your message to all the women that are listening to you right now? My message is how I wish all the, the Catholic women, especially the Catholic women, we can come together and share ideas, see how we can help the Archbishop. Because right now, last week we were visited by the seminarians. It really touched my heart when I heard that the Bishop is paying, the Archbishop is paying 60000 for each uh, seminarian. And really and truly, where does he get this, that money? Where does it come from? 
if all our parishes can say, let us pay for one seminarian, give the, 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 the archdiocese 60,000, if possible, for one, seminari- one seminarian, because those people, the, the seminarians, when they come, when they finish their studies, they come back and serve us. And the Catholic Church, we don't have many priests. Most of our priests here are foreigners. And I was happy when I hear that most of the uh, seminarians here in Pretoria, John Vianney, they are from uh, our location, Soweto. So if we can come together and help the bishop with the best bishop with the money, I'll be very happy. And number two, he is building the shrine. It needs a lot of money, and that shrine is for the Virgin Mary. The Virgin Mary is a woman, Mother Mary. We are women. We should lead like other like the old the three women who went to the grave first. They were women. Men were at the they are at the back. Women are good leaders. Thank you. And that brings me up to time. This has been your Thursday's edition of Catholic View, a program produced and presented by Sheila Pitch for Radio Veritas. I'll be back again tomorrow at the same time. Thank you so much for listening. Until then, God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Sheila Pirsch.